0: Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley, and uh, it is February 16th, 2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer, and we will begin. Father, thank you for this time we have uh, this evening. We thank you for those who have joined, and, and we pray that as we open your word, that we will open our hearts to what your word has to say that we will come with the intention of renewing our minds so that we will know you better. We pray that we are the kind of worshipers that you seek, those who worship in spirit and in truth. So, Father, we pray for traveling mercies for those of us who are traveling, in particular, Carol. We pray for those who are sick among us. And Lord, we pray in for... Uh, couple names come to mind. One is my Aunt Helen and her husband and their move. Uh, We also pray for Lenora, who is uh, um, Dave's daughter, praying for her as well. And so Father, you know the the hearts of those uh, who are yearning for you in different areas, whether it be uh, those who are sick, those who have lost loved ones. Uh, we pray that, and you, that you know exactly how to handle each one of them, Father. So we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us as we are here in this world. And Father, as we pray for word is truth wherever they are this evening. Uh, those, of, those of us who are not in attendance, we pray for them. Asking that you will give us wisdom as we approach your word tonight. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we are, uh, as you know, we're in the book of Romans, and we're at a uh, uh, verse in Romans ten, thirteen today. It says, "For everyone who calls." on the name of the Lord will be saved and it's a short phrase but i think there's something there and we want to talk about it so that's what that's what our plans are tonight is to talk about this one verse Romans 10:13 so in your notes hopefully we have these words salvation is free by design when we consider this It leads us back to God, our Creator, and Savior's marvelous design. Although, when you talk to some Christians, they have complicated salvation and limited limited it to only those they consider worthy. Of course, no one is worthy, and the Scripture is clear about that. Christians are all wrapped up in politics and moral issues so much... The world would not think they had a gospel that can save everyone. We need to pause and look at the gospel we are preaching to to the world. So we, you know, just thinking about this verse and that's what we wanna deal with, makes me think about are we really offering the gospel free? It is free, that's what the scripture says, that's what we are told, however, are, are we doing what we should be doing to make sure people know that it is free? So we're going to dig into the scripture here. Let's um, look at the first phrase, which is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So this everyone, we should note, means anyone, anybody in the world who is lost. And, and it's not only Jews, it's not only Gentiles, it's everyone who needs salvation. What should they be doing? <laughs> they should be calling on the name of the Lord. And that's <clears throat> that part of it is unique because remember, if you go back to where this verse was in Isaiah, it did have a context, but... Paul is taking that verse from Isaiah and he's trying to show us something here. And if you look at why do I say everyone? Why did Paul expand this? If you go to Romans 10 and we looked at the previous verse, we see why. Because we just talked about this last week. This is 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. So this is our our verse, Paul quotes it from the Old Testament, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we know that in context, Paul is not only talking about Jews, even though he pulled it from a context that dealt specifically with Israel. So to note, point B, let's move in. Who are those in the world qualified for salvation by grace? Now. I'm taking a little bit of liberty here. Hopefully, you, you know, uh, generally, when we talk about salvation, we speak about it in terms of free grace, not of ourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? So we talk about all the things that people may try to do to gain or earn their salvation, Some people think, oh, salvation is by grace, but then you have to maintain it. Like if you don't do Christian things, what we consider Christian things, then you can't consider yourself saved. Certainly you can't consider yourself saved if you're not doing Christian things. What does that mean? It means going to church, you know, giving, loving everybody, uh, you know, um, being gracious and kind to people, uh, telling people about Jesus, telling them you love them, all kinds of stuff, right? People think, all right, these things are associated with being a Christian. But we're gonna talk a little bit about it from a different point of view. And why I say different is because we don't normally approach it from this thing. I'm kind of turning it, uh, the coin over a bit, so. So, yeah, we see that one side where people may be trying to earn God's favor, but we need to look at another side of it. So I'm going to look at a series of verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 is the first one. Uh, Let's dig in. 1 Corinthians 6. Let's start at verse 9. So, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. <laughs> Stop right there for a minute. <clears throat> so Paul he lists a lot of sins. Now, it is obviously, uh, let's put it, it's obvious to me that the sins that Paul lists here are not sins that would recommend them to God. These are sins that obviously you will find in the world and you can go out and look and you will find just these very things in the world. And if you look at the people who are doing these things, you might say, well, they're, they're certainly not worthy. They're not worthy of salvation. Look at, look at the things they're doing. Well, the question should be, what should we expect them to be doing? What conduct qualifies them for salvation? Is it that they're trying to get salvation? Then we say, oh no, that's bad. You, you can't take a great salvation by your works. Right? We're gonna quickly point that out. However, when we look in the world and see people doing all these things, we think, oh my gosh, they're terrible. They're, you know, these, these people are the worst. How can we even <laughs> associate with them if, if this is what they're doing? This is what they are. Greedy, drunkards, thieves, right? All the swindlers. That is, those are the people that we are supposed to go witness to? Yes. Yes. And that is what some of you were. So now now that you, you know, none of, it didn't say uh, that you, did, you cleaned yourself up or you don't do these things anymore, or, but listen, salvation doesn't have anything to do with what you were. You could have been all of these things, and all you had to do was believe in Christ, faith in his work. His, the person of Christ and what he has done. It has nothing to do with what you were. What you were is often characterized by us as either you're really good person or less good person, less than that of a good person. I want you to stop right now and think of the worst person you can think of. Most of the time, we don't associate the fact that that person could be saved by in a moment of time by just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that person that you're thinking about right now, the worst person you can think of. That is verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Not by your works. Not by your cleaning yourself up from all of these sins that we would consider nasty and dirty. None of that matters. So who is qualified for salvation? If you look at it, and everyone. And who's everyone is the question. So I'm going to look at Galatians 5, 18 through 21. We're going to continue this a little bit. Galatians 5, 18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So here, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now... And he talks about the qualities of those who are under the control of the Spirit. Now, you know, just to note, unbelievers don't have the benefit of the control of the Spirit. They don't have that. So when we think about these, this list of people and all these particular sins that are mentioned here, the question becomes, well, are we chiding them for being what they are? Are we saying this is bad? You shouldn't be this? You you might have to clean yourself up before you're worthy of salvation. How do we see people like this? Do we see this as, well, they're a product of what Adam did. They, They develop sin natures. And yes, maybe some of them haven't sinned in the ways that we do or did, but they, their, they, they did it their way. They personalized their sin nature in the way that they wanted to. Can we say that that's a bad thing? No, it's just like anybody else in the world. And the fact that these people have sin natures, is it really on them that they sin? I think if you have a sin nature, what are you supposed to do? Sin. If you had a sin nature and you didn't sin, now that would be odd. Now that's something we need to sit up and take note of. Here's a person who has a sin nature, but they don't sin. Now I'm not I'm just pointing these out because we're talking about who are the recipients of salvation? Who are the, what, what people are we looking for to be saved? Those who are morally pure, those who are upright in their living, and their standard of living. Are those are the people that we want to witness to? Or are these the people? that are in the world. And these are the people that need the gospel. And we're not asking, we're not going to these people and, and talking about their lifestyles and saying how uh, you know, we wouldn't do these things and they ought not to be doing these things. and all. We're not telling them that. You know what we're telling them? The gospel is free. We're telling them that God is not counting their sins against them. And just imagine for people in this category, that is huge. (laughs) Now, that's good news. To know that all those things, we're not turning our nose up at them. We're not looking at them sideways when we see them doing some of these things they're involved in. We're telling them the good news. They qualify for salvation. What makes them qualify? Well, they're born lost. Not because of all these things they've done. It's because they've been born in Adam, spiritually dead, condemned with an old sin nature. That's why they're qualified for salvation by grace. And we know all of this. We we should not be shocked at their particular sins. Let's keep going. Ephesians 4, 17 through 20. Ephesians 4, 17 through 20. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So now as believers, we do have standards. That is true. We, we certainly have standards as believers. God is telling us that if you grow in grace, that if you grow to the fullness and stature of Christ, that there will be rewards. God will reward everyone according to what he has done, whether they are slave or free, says Ephesians 6. (coughs) So we should note that it is true that if you can live according to Christian standards, if you can God is saying, I will reward that. Now, reward is not salvation. Reward is not maintenance of salvation. Reward has nothing to do with a grace salvation other than the fact that only those who have a grace salvation can earn reward. That's it. That's all it has to do with a grace salvation. So suppose a person doesn't live up to those standards. Just like the Corinthians here, they were still doing some of the same things they were doing, they were unbelievers. So Paul had to tell them, that don't behave in those ways. That's not, we do have a standard as Christian, as a Christian. But that standard has nothing to do with salvation other than you need to be saved in order to uh, have the spirit to control your life so that you can produce works that God would accept and reward you for so yes there's a standard yes yes there's a standard for the Christian life I know people who you know they want me to say that don't sin don't go out there and be none of those things that we just mentioned or I'm getting ready to mention some. don't do that and that's true I'm saying that but has nothing whatever to do with your eternal salvation and you, you're going to have eternal life the moment you believe in Christ and you, once you do you can't ever lose it we're going to talk more about that as we get down the road but just know so here having lost all sensitivity this is what Gentiles or people who are unsaved this is what's going on inside of them so verse 18 they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, now notice, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. So you were taught, you were taught Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupt. This is, this is not a condition for salvation. This is what most Christians do. They say, oh, saved by grace. You're saved by grace. However, if you don't get rid of them sins, then you don't have salvation by grace. This is their view. They, hate, they hate the word sin in all of these ways that people are so much that they will tell people that they don't have salvation if they try to sin in these particular ways. When really, none of that has to do anything with salvation. In fact, can we even blame them for behaving in ways like this? They don't have the spirit. They were born in Adam with a sin nature, under the wrath of God, condemned. What should they have been doing? Well, there was a scripture in Romans 6, I'm going to depart from just a minute, and Romans 6 and just to note here here it is toward the end where it says <clears throat> verse uh, Romans 6 verse 20 here it is when you were slaves to sin now that's what these people are in the when it comes from uh, the state of Adam this is what we all were we are what God is saying here slaves to sin, we don't have a choice in the matter. What rules over us? Sin, sin nature, and we're slaves to it. We we'll do whatever the sin nature tells us to do. It is really not our fault. So you, when you were slaves to sin, look at this, you were free from the control of righteousness. You, did, you, could, try, you could try to do right, a righteous act, but it would never work because you were slave to sin. And it says you were free from, you didn't have one, you couldn't do one righteous act. There is none who do good, not even one, says Romans 3. Not even one. You were free. You couldn't do a righteous act if you tried. You wouldn't even want to do a righteous act because you were a slave to sin. So back to our notes here. We just read Ephesians uh, and then there's more Ephesians five eleven through thirteen. I'm spending a little time on this. I am, because we're just, I'm just making a point. Hopefully you already got it. But Ephesians five eleven through thirteen says, "Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated." becomes light. So what this is saying, again, is, is a reference to our standard as Christians. It is not a condition for salvation. If, if God is telling us on the one hand, salvation is free, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, certainly we're not expecting that Christians must maintain or have some works in order to be saved. We're not gonna say that. If we say that, And we are contradicting ourselves, and we're contradicting the verse of Scripture that says, It is by grace. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. We're contradicting that. Now, of course, many people say this, and they speak out of both sides of their mouth, and they don't see this as a contradiction. However, it is. And it's up to us to point it out to them. And that's what I'm doing today to make sure that we don't confuse Christian conduct or the Christian way of life, what God wants us to do as believers with what he requires unbelievers to do for salvation, to have eternal life. Let's just lay it on the line as for what it is. And then this last one, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Here it is. So we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now, like I said before, God has a standard, but for all of those people, wherever they are, whoever they are, they can believe in Christ and have the same eternal life that you have it can't be improved on because you didn't do some of these things. It can't be improved on because you you omitted, you know, you, you could look on this list and say, well, I was never one of those things. Your salvation is exactly the same that all of these people and all of these particular sins. And some of these sins are you, I bet. Some of these sins are me. And even if it's not me, the sin nature that I got from Adam is certainly capable of of it. It's certainly capable. Even if I haven't done it, my sin nature is capable of doing it. So it's not, listen, we're not better than these people. We came from the same place as these people. That's what it says. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in, when, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler uh, who, of, the, of the air. who, All of that, all of us, were by nature, it says, objects of wrath. So don't look at our, yourself and say, hmm, I'm, I'm better than this. I never would even think of doing some of these things. Don't, don't say that. That would be wrong to say. Because then we're gonna look down on these people when it comes to giving them the grace salvation, which is free, it doesn't cost. It has nothing to do with their sins, their behavior. And what do we say? God is, he has imputed all of their sins to Christ and he is not counting their sins against them. Now in all of us, I'm telling you, there's some self-righteousness when we begin to uh, shed Some of these things, like the Corinthians needed to do, they needed to shed some of these things once they got to be believers. There was a standard of conduct that God does expect from us. And they began to shed some of these sins. And, you know, as a result, they developed a bit of self-righteousness. They started looking around at others. Well, 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 I'm not not that anymore. And I see so-and-so over there still is that. Well, I'm better than that person. This is how people compare themselves with themselves, with others like them. So let's keep going because we got a lot of ground to cover. Point number C in our notes, where did we come from? I just quoted. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I just quoted it. That's where we all came from. Not some of us. Paul even includes himself there. All of us were in those verses. Dead. That's where God found us. He didn't see any worthiness. He didn't see any goodness or standards that we had of morality that we could say, "Oh, well, we're moral." You know, we 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 do practice morality. You know, and this is what uh, Christians today don't give people the opportunity to work it out with God and the Spirit of Truth. Once a person saved, they become the spirit of truth, and they tell people what they need to be doing. Instead, they should let God deal with each believer, because he will. He will deal with each believer. Should they learn about what the conduct is? Yes, that we do have a a conduct that is. um, Certainly, God has standards, even when it comes to morality. He certainly does. But that's for believers. He doesn't expect unbelievers to maintain some sort of standard of morality. And if he did, that means he would respect something in their sin nature because that's how they operate. Point D, we, is, we must make sure we do not limit the gospel to only those we think are worthy. That, that, that's, that's how we have to make sure because we have a free gospel and who should get it? Just like the verse says, everyone who calls... On the name of the Lord will be saved. Every single person. There is not any case. There are no exceptions. There's no case where a person does call on the name of the Lord. And they will still be lost. The Bible says everyone. That means anybody. And and who are these people? We just saw what we were in Adam. All of that. We were all of that in Adam. Point E. What must they do? Right, and, and, and this is the point. Call on the name of the Lord. Now, this is what it says in our verse, which is different from believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So, even when we say call on the name of the Lord, that is a result, just like all the other verses were, it is a result that is emphasized in order for us to be saved. Well, a person needs to understand the gospel. And then once they understand the gospel, then they're going to call on the name of the Lord. As it is said in this verse, Paul has taken this verse from Isaiah twenty sixteen to help us un- uh, understand how Israel would have something familiar so that they can pin the gospel to as well. Call on the name of the Lord, so but you could hear it different ways, like Romans ten nine and ten, right if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead and and then it goes on in ten and talks with the heart man believes and is saved, and with the mouth confession is made with the result of uh, the, the fact that they have salvation. is that the gospel no the god those are results of hearing a person who has heard the gospel and their response to it. But there is no magic. The Holy Spirit has to take each person and bring them to the place where they understand the issues of the gospel. Even when we give somebody the gospel, we think, well, I've told them, i told them the gospel. Well, what have you done? One man plants, another man waters. Right? We We don't, even though we might tell that person what the scripture says. It doesn't mean that now, because I said that, they're on the hook. God is in control. God the Holy Spirit will evaluate that person and where they are and he will lead them step-by-step step to the place where they can believe in Christ, right? That's, that's how it works. And when it happens, it is not up to us. Wow, we've really done something, you know. It gets me where ministers are uh, trying to tell people how many uh, people they baptize. Well, we've baptized X amount of people. You know, we baptized X amount of people. Salvation only happens when God, the Holy Spirit, works with the person's soul and brings them to the point of salvation. Then the person has a response, and the person believes. And that is how salvation happens. That's the moment of salvation. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Point F, call on the name of the Lord. Again, I already said this, but Paul uses this verse from the Old Testament to illustrate it. We already covered this whole thought in Romans 9.33 when Paul used it there. But it was more crisis evangelism for the Jew. Twenty-eight sixteen. You want to read it? Let's read it. Uh, Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Why not? Just as a reminder. Isaiah twenty-eight says this, <clears throat> and we've used this passage because Paul also refers to this passage when it comes to tongues, right? That are found in when he's explaining what tongues are for in First Corinthians chapter 14. So, uh, verse 16. So, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. That is the verse where Paul is quoting from. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, <clears throat> that... Understanding that verse, um, it it should help people understand, but it is from a Jewish construct, right? a context. And no Gentile necessarily would understand it other than that Paul is preaching the gospel in Romans chapter 10. He's giving it a Jewish context because he's talking to the Jews. He started out talking to them. He started quoting verses from the Old Testament to help Jews uh, be familiar. It's more of what we would call language of accommodation. But that is where he's pulling from in this verse. What is he trying to tell, is it only the Jews? No, it's for Jews and Gentiles. it's for everyone. Calling on the name of the Lord is akin to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him, trusting in the Lord for his soul, soul salvation. That is what it means when we when we were to break, if we were to ask, but well, what exactly does the, we call on the name? What does that mean? What do, what do we do? We call them on the phone. We call out loud, audibly, right? All those things are metaphors because Israel is the recipient of this and Paul is trying to use language that they would understand. But he's putting it in a salvation construct. So, That was point F. And then there's Acts 4.12. We know there is no other name given among men. So we're asking, what is calling on the name of the Lord? What is that? That's Acts 4.12. There's no other other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can call on, and you can say, Lord, all you want, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for our sins. who died under Pontius Pilate, was buried in a rich man's tomb and was resurrected. And now many people saw him. So that's the person we're talking about. All right. So point G, <clears throat> Israel needed the very gospel. And this is the point to note of why Paul is making this point for Israel. They needed the very gospel. They were ordained to preach to the world. Israel was supposed to be God's priest nation. Imagine that, God's priest nation. When you turn that around, here, Paul is preaching to them. If they reject salvation by grace, how are they going to make it plain to those Gentile nations? How can they do it? How can they teach salvation by grace when they themselves haven't uh, accepted it? They have resisted the Holy Spirit. How, how can they be God's priest nation. So at the end of that, since that is so, it can only spell failure for Israel. And that's exactly what happened. They failed. However, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as we say. Because we know in the tribulation Israel will take the everlasting gospel and they will preach it until the end. Right? They will be faithful to God. It, they will turn it around. So do not dispose of Israel so quickly. But we will note and understand the past, Israel's past. Yeah, it wasn't good. Certainly was not good. Let's continue with the second phrase. Uh, let's read, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what will happen to them? They will be saved. So salvation's surety one of the many excellent scriptures, right? So uh, that's John five twenty four, and I'll go over it. We've gone over it many times before. There are three things to note in John five twenty four. 24, uh, really four, but we'll, we'll talk about the three results. Verily, verily, I say to, unto you, oh, that's King James, sorry. <laughs> Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. Now that is all the person does. That's it. They hear the word, believe him who sent sent him, right? That's the father, right? The father sent the son to be the savior of the world, right? So they understand the plan and they believe in Christ. And what happens as a result of that has these three results follow. They have, it says has eternal life. That's the first result. Eternal life, if you got eternal life, that means you. it's not temporary, it's eternal. It's forever, it can't be reversed. God's not going to give you eternal life. It's, man, I forgot. I didn't realize you were going to do that. I didn't know that was what was going to happen when I gave you eternal life, when I justified you, when I pronounced you saved. I didn't know all of that. No, that's ridiculous. That's something man came up with, and it does not. Uh, at all agree with what the word teaches. That's the first result, they have forever life. And that's God's life, that's not just any life, that's not forever life, that's a quality of life that God himself possesses, eternal life, that's one. And will not be judged, that's the word krino in the Greek, and that means we will never be condemned, that's the same word as translated condemned. So that person, not only do they have eternal life, God is reversing some things here, some important things, and it will not be judged. It will never come into judgment. If You believe in Christ, you'll never stand judgment to determine whether you'll be saved or lost. Now that judgment is what we call the great white throne judgment at the end of human history where God brings all those unbelievers up and they try to make their case with their works. However, what does it say? They've been thrown into the lake of fire, all of them. None of them survived. But here, for the believer who trusts in Christ just one time in their life, just that one time, they will not be judged. They will never come into condemnation. So says Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those are in Christ and that's where every single person in human history that has ever believed in Christ whether he in whatever form Christ was presented presented whether before the cross or after and then this is the third result but has crossed over from death to life so we were born dead we're born spiritually dead the moment you believe in Christ you weren't physically dead you were spiritually dead if you believe, then that's what you did because you were alive. You, dead people can't believe, and not physically dead people. They can't even do anything with their human bodies anymore. It's over for them. This is, so what are we talking about here? Spiritual death is reversed. <clears throat> Spiritual death is reversed. We have crossed over from death to life. Now that's, <clears throat> to me, Three things, and there are more things that happen for the person who believes in Christ. But this verse has three of those things that are solid, I would say, in terms of our understanding. Let's continue. So point B, if we take salvation on God's terms, which is grace, then we can receive this salvation through faith. We can only receive it through faith. That's it. If we we understand that salvation is by grace, if you don't understand that salvation is by grace and you are trying to earn it, then God the Holy Spirit has more work to do in your heart. That's what that means. Now, this is not to say that people can't have understood salvation by grace, believe, and then, you know how they say, and get with the church, right? And got with some church, And then the church taught them false doctrine. That could very well be. Look at the Galatians. That's exactly what happened to them. And so we have a book in the Bible, in the canon of scripture, that deals with, yeah, that happened. How did Paul deal with it? He never told them they were lost and they needed to believe in Christ again. That would be ridiculous. But they were certainly, they had drifted off course from grace. They certainly did. So you can only receive it through faith, that's it. And point C, faith is the perfect and only way we can receive salvation. It's not by works, not by anything we've done. What is faith? Faith means we have to look away from ourselves, our circumstances, the bad news, that's all about us. right? Our opinions, our opinions about salvation. Look away from all of that and look to Lord Jesus Christ, only him. That's faith. Faith is trusting and relying on another for their faith. I mean, I'm sorry, for their action. Christ performed the work necessary in two ways. One, he lived a perfect life. He was righteous before God. He's the only man in human history that is righteous. Righteous. And was, was and is righteous before God. He stands as our representative in heaven right now, because when 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 Christ went to the cross, his life, the life he lived, got was pleasing to the Father, and and that righteousness is imputed to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. You can read Romans three. 19 through 24 that deals with that in detail and we've covered it already so faith is the only way we can receive it that's what we call righteousness by faith it it happened for abraham it's not something new It, it was always that way it happened for abel abel if he's righteous it was by faith it wasn't because he was somehow better than cain or anything it's because they both were born with from Adam, with the bad news, sin, nature, condemnation, spiritual death, all of that. And yet they were saved. Oh, let's keep going. So faith looks away from yourself. And, and it looks to Christ. It, it, it locks in on the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is focused on God's word. In this particular sense, it is focused on God's word with respect to salvation. And the person, the object of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you put your faith, your trust, your reliance on him, not on yourself, not on what you can do before or after salvation. It is putting your complete trust for your soul's salvation on Christ. Point D, if we are saved, it is from the bad news. God resolves all the negatives we were born with. He will never reverse them. I just think, if we are saved, God has, just like we read in John five twenty four, how God reversed all of those things for us that were negative. Now, none of those things that those people had were because of sins that they committed. All of the things that we saw in those negatives were because of what Adam did. It's not because of what you did, not because of who you are. It was because of what Adam did and he gave you a rebellious nature. God basically condemned the entire human race because of Adam. That's what he talks about. All are condemned. By one trespass, trespass, all are condemned. So you were condemned before you started. So there's nothing you could do in order to reverse that. God does reverse it when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's how it works. That's John ten twenty-eight. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Then he goes on and says, my father is greater than me and no one can pl- and he has him in his hand and no one can pluck them out of his hand either. Him and the father are in agreement. They will never, no, not ever perish. A couple questions and we're going to conclude. Is the salvation you speak about permanent or temporary? Is it permanent or temporary? And I can, I'd say maybe you should look at what Jesus spoke of in this previous verse. Which did Jesus speak of? He spoke of a salvation that was permanent. And he even emphasized it. He says no one can ever snatch them out. Th- that person's in their hand. They have eternal life. They shall never perish. Then he says the Father, they're also in the Father's hand. So if you, people come up with all weird, a lot of weird things today. Well, I could take myself out of his hand. Well, really, you could do that. You you didn't put yourself in his hand, you don't take yourself out of his hand. Nothing you did got you in his hand. It was all the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and none of you. So, last point here. What is your favorite verse for this so great salvation? I would hope if someone comes up to you and says, What must I do that I can have eternal life? Let's play this out in your head. What would you tell them? How would you let them know about this so great salvation? I mean, there are so many angles that you could come from. The works, the righteousness angle. Or it's the sin angle that we came from today a little bit. Where we talked about what... These people in the world may be doing when we see them, when we encounter them. Yeah, they're involved in all these things, but that doesn't make them bad. It just makes them qualified for salvation. That's what it makes them. We shouldn't turn our nose up at them because we wouldn't have done those sins or we, our sin, we didn't sin in those ways. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What do they need? The gospel. That's what they need. That's what saves. All right, so so play it out in your head. What is your favorite verse? How do you tell somebody the gospel? You know what? If you don't know it, if you're at a loss for words, then grab a few words. Use the scriptures that we covered or whatever one you want and put together in your mind something that you can tell people when they ask you, what must I do be saved how do i get saved you got to let them know and i can tell you i, I gave you that john 5 24 i love that verse but what verse do you love and we'll we're going to conclude the this uh, lesson on uh, romans ten thirteen. but we're going to just open it up for some q a to see if there's questions or thoughts out there and then we will close so everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved. So we're going to pause for a minute as we close to see if there are some questions out there. The floor is open.
1: Yeah. I, I had a thought when you was, uh, he was uh, speaking in regards to salvation being free. And what came to my mind was when you think of the verse where it talks about uh, the law what was. Might increase because man cannot keep the law, so if salvation had to be free. When you think of the terms of the fact that you know man is always trying to keep the law and they just can't keep it, you know, and the Bible says that all have sinned and come sort of glory.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So This just came to my to my thought when you admitted about salvation being free. I mean, how could it be any other way?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, when we're on this side of it, we can certainly understand it. However, I would say Christians make a, give us a bad name when they talk about salvation in terms of something you must maintain. They think, uh, well, if you're saved, then obviously you, you should be doing good works. Let me tell you what good works are. They, they got their nose in everything, right? So we gotta let God, the Holy Spirit, he's the one who leads and guides us into all truth not give him that opportunity to to not only tell us about what salvation is but all of the deep things of god it is god the holy spirit's job and that's internal work but when you say that you're absolutely right about the law what was given so that's romans five twenty. the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase didn't say the law was brought in so that people would be more obedient. <laughs> so so a good point to make. Think about that. A lot of people think, well, the law came so that God would tell us to do his will, and we can do his will, and we'll be more right with God. No, that's the opposite. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. What does that mean? So that they would even see it. The people who are lawbreakers would see that they're lawbreakers. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so doesn't matter how much sin there is or, or that the law digs up or shows God's grace will cover it more than enough but what it is to say that the law helps us understand our true condition before God just like in second Corinthians three and seven and verse nine as well where it talks about the law as a minister of condemnation it also says the law is a minister of death Uh, these are people who love the law, won't use these verses. (laughs) You say, the ministry of condemnation. Oh, we're worshiping the ministry of condemnation. What does that say about us? What does that say about us worshiping the minister of death, the ministry of death? These are terms that people don't use, but it's right there in the scripture. It talks about how the law shows us our true condition, that we're dead before God, that we're condemned before God. The only way we're gonna need we're gonna to come to our need of salvation is we see that we need it and that we reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will pause, but thanks for that. Other thoughts out there? Yeah I oh,
1: was just thinking of um oh, sorry. oh go ahead Dave So you go ahead, you go ahead, you go ahead. I was just thinking about how, how often I've heard people, um, restrict words, um, in amazing ways (laughs) Um, and I mean amazing in a bad way, Mm -hmm. um, they would take something like, you know, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, um, will be saved and they would say, well, that everyone means everyone in, you know, everyone who is elect. Mm. Um, those are the people who will call on the name of the Lord and will be saved. Mm. And, um, so it's, it's, um, very important that people understand that everyone does mean anyone That's right. and there, there are no, you know, restrictions or prequalification, um, uh, for, for eligibility. Um, and and the calling here, um, you know, is from the believer to the name of the Lord, you know, the the one who has faith, the one That's who right. is believing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, the other direction where God is calling people is not about salvation; it's about a completely different subject. So, people in churches will will often talk about, well, what is God calling you to? And, and you know, did he call you? Did he choose you? You know, all those things. Are you predestined? And they would use those terms in in the context of salvation, which is totally incorrect. Um, so, you know, the, this verse, I think uh, Romans ten thirteen does an excellent job of just simplifying it so much <laughs> and just leave out everything else. Um, So I think that's. uh, I'm I'm glad you brought that out. Yeah. um, Whoever, mean and whoever and everyone
0: does mean anyone. Absolutely, everyone who and who is everyone. The previous verse, Paul made that clear. He's not just talking about Jews, but also Gentiles. And so when he, in fact, that's what I think I read it, but I think it bears repeating again. This is Romans 10 and 12 for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on, on him. So if anybody calls on the Lord for salvation obviously God the Holy Spirit had to be involved. As it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, no one can call Jesus Lord except the Spirit enable them. So God, the Holy Spirit, is in there, and the pers- people who don't see that, they will just think this is like the magic word salvation. You know, well, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord; I'm saved. You know, no, God, the Holy Spirit's got to bring you to the place where you understand the issues of the gospel. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, who's who's going to be? Who's everyone? If we think about it, and Romans ten. Uh, at the, not Romans 10, I'm sorry. First Corinthians chapter 10 is a good understanding here of what Paul sees as everyone. In verse 33, even as I try to please everyone. right? So we're talking about everyone in every way. So here are the categories of people who are God, who Paul considers everyone. Who is it? He says, I'm not seeking my good. Uh, and, and who is that? This is in verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God. Right? So Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God is what Paul says in verse 33 is everyone. Now, of course, people, people who are in uh, the Church are already saved, but Jews and Greeks are not. They're the rest of the people that we would say everyone but we don't want to cause believers to stumble either. Right? When he talks about eating meat and different things, right? You know, dealing with the conscience. But we don't want to cause anyone to stumble. And I like this because Paul gives the different categories of people. And I like verse 33 because he says everyone. Right? And in our verse, in Romans, that's what we're dealing with. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Well, who's everyone? Well, Jews and Gentiles. All right, the church is already saved, so we've already called on the name of the Lord. Yeah. But good good observations as well, thanks to White. Other thoughts? I thought I had I heard Dave out there. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you gotta excuse me for, if I'll be alright. Just have a
1: question or a thought. Just and just a thought. Um the word of God doesn't really say it or not. Uh believe it was Simon, Simon or Vivian the one they
0: he came, people he from South, South, Cyrene, and he was born to carry the cross just to so what if he was saved or not? oh yeah, well um I can't say that whether he was or not saved Dave is dealing with the uh, person who was tagged uh, to carry the cross. I think it was uh, Simon of Cyrene or something like that don't make me look it up but yeah i i think we know he was tagged cuz Christ was stumbling under the weighted cross and they grabbed some man to carry him carry the cross for Christ uh would be interesting dave's question is do we, do we think that that man was saved uh i have to say i don't know uh but as far as If I think, what your question reminds me of is the Roman centurion who was there, who just was observing everything, watching how Christ died on the cross. He recognized that something was going on here that was not normal. He realized that, you know, what Christ was, I forget exactly what his comments were, but he he was saying that this is, Certainly, this man was not just uh, an average person with all the earthquakes and the darkness and all that went on with Christ's death. I would think Simon uh, would also have understood that this was a unique thing that happened. And, you know, we, we often uh, make the Gospels palatable for our consumption. Which is to say, you know, when we read about the stories of Jesus, the miracles, the signs and the wonders, we kind of like think of miracle signs and wonders in our day. We don't see the enormity of what actually happened that that, that jesus was he was doing things that were contrary to natural uh, uh the natural order of things, the miracles he was doing, the signs the wonders, all these things were just. Unnatural, and he did them every day, which in his ministry. And this was, uh, people followed him. They sought him. They looked for him. I mean, it was he had become so popular. He had to tell people in the beginning, yeah, uh, yeah, I healed you, but don't tell anybody what has happened here. Right, go ahead your way, because if he had people who. Uh, it, as, as the scripture says when it was noised abroad <laughs> I think that's King James when people heard about it 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 got bigger and bigger and bigger so you no. Know, so, Dave I don't actually have the answer to that. By the way do you have an opinion about that? No it was
1: just a thought you know I just thought, the word of God I never mentioned that if
0: He was saved or not, but I, I do know that they forced him to carry the cross. So I was just, it was just a thought I had. Yeah, I don't. I the answer is I don't know, and maybe I thought maybe you might have uh, come to some conclusions. What What do you do? You come to any conclusions? Do you think he was saved? I think he must have been based on even the Roman centurion. But I can't. There's no way. Obviously, he had equal privilege and equal opportunity to be saved. And he was very close to Christ on the cross, just like the thief was. But one of the thieves did believe; the other one did not, according to what the Scripture says. So we just don't know. Other thoughts out there. Well, uh,
1: just one last closing thought, and that is, um, you know, sometimes when we've talked about you raised the question before: who do we give the gospel to? and um sometimes the answer is just whoever doesn't know it <laughs> that's right so, so no matter what their walk of life is even if they've been in church for 10 20 years if they don't know the, the um the gospel that's somebody who needs it
0: absolutely uh, that's a good thought as we end with it um, the people desperately need to hear the gospel of grace I think what is touted uh, in many places among Christians is this gospel that is about morality or you must be moral to be saved or you must be, you know, not be a homosexual or, some, or, or that you must not believe in the abortion uh, thing that's going on politically speaking. All these things are what people consider conditions for salvation. Uh, which none of them are, uh, more, even morality is not a condition for salvation. Right? When I look at, and I'll just, this is the last scripture, I know we can keep going on this, but Romans chapter four, it's interesting. Uh, this is verses four and five. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. See, so salvation by works is not, uh, God understands. It's not a gift that you're getting. It's an ob- if you work, you should be paid. That's clear. If you work, you should be paid. But salvation you can't work for, so it's not a gift. God understands that. Verse five. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies, who does, just, who gets justified here? The ungodly here. The wicked. Those are the ones who gets, who get justified, not the morrow, the the clean one, the one who doesn't do anything wrong, who has figured out how to way to repent of all their sins. None of that. What hap- What position is the person in right before they're justified? Ungodly, says this verse. Wicked. God does that. Those are all those people we just we talked about earlier, and such. For some of us, right in that category. The wicked one. Well, what happens? Their faith, and we talked about what faith is, is credited as righteousness. Yeah. So thanks for, for that thought as well. Other thoughts out there before we close? All right. It's
1: I just a, one on that verse. Uh, I just up. Romans two, 4, verse 5. And the one who does not work but believes, it's, it's not an and. So it's yeah. not to the one who works and believes. They are mutually exclusive. That's right. right. So you, you, can't, you can't mix any amount of work with beliefs. So some people will say that, oh, well, Paul was only talking about works of the law. Um, you know, the, the Mosaic Law, uh, but you still have to do things to show that you have faith. Um, but Romans 4, 5, I think, <laughs> yeah. pretty much destroyed that argument um, because there, there is no work. That's right. Um, work is the opposite of believing.
0: Yeah, Yeah. We could say, who are those who are saved? Well, it's the ones who did no work. Not the ones who are busy working, because the ones who are busy working were the Jews trying to keep the law, right? And and it says, by the works of the law, no flesh, no person will be justified.
1: And you're you're basically negating the gift. That's right. So imagine trying to give a gift to somebody and the person is saying, oh, wait a minute, before I receive that, let me show you that I'm a good person. Let me do something to make sure I earn it.
0: Show you I'm worthy of the gift.
1: I mean, you know, if it were me giving the gift, that would be kind of insulting. It's like, no, no, I don't, I don't want any (laughs) work or anything. I'm giving you this gift. It's free. There's no no charge, no obligation.
0: Pride prevents people uh, from accepting anything from anyone else. Uh, It is humbling to be able to receive a gift. And yet people yep. have too much pride in order to do that. So it's just simply you come to God yep. and you believe, you trust, you look away from yourself. It is not about anything you have. It's looking at the person of Jesus Christ and what he has brought to the table. So, yeah. <coughs> Dwight, could you close us out with a word of prayer? Would you mind?
1: Sure. You. No, I don't mind. Thank you. Thank uh, So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for such a wonderful opportunity to look at your word and look at how amazing this gift is that you have given to us. You've done everything that needs to be done to make this gift possible. And for us, the only qualification is to believe. The The only thing that we can offer is to believe believe in our hearts, to call upon the name of the Lord, and we will be saved. No work can be done, and this is for anybody. And um, you know, anybody born of Adam mm-hmm. is, is, is qualified. Um, so if, if anybody needs the gospel, I hope they hear this message and realize um, that it is scripturally based, um, that salvation is by grace, and grace is free, and it is also permanent. Absolutely. Um, thank you for those who are on this call, and I pray for the safety of uh, those traveling, um, and I also pray for the health and well-being of everybody that we are in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, and thank you
0: so much. Amen. For amen.